this is actually a very interesting section to me. It was a section that for a very long time I really didn't know what to do with because Luke 2 is a section about Jesus' birth and his early life. So before I start, I want to ask you guys some questions. Who is Jesus? He is the Messiah. That's right. Jesus is the Messiah. What is the Messiah? Our Savior. That's right. What else is Jesus? Who else is Jesus? He's our Messiah. He's our Savior. Who else is Jesus? Is he a man? Is he God? Are both of those important things? So another thing, what are we supposed to do about Jesus? How do we interact with Jesus? You can pray. With, yeah, you can pray, and that's a way to interact with Jesus. What else? Like, what are we supposed to do about Jesus? The fact that Jesus exists, how are we supposed to respond? Like, what is Jesus to us? We said Savior earlier, so what if we want him to be our Savior? What do we do? Accept that he's God. Yeah, it's like there's an acceptance there. But I'm going to ask again. So I asked, who is Jesus? I'm going to ask, what is Jesus? We talked about man. We talked about God. What else is Jesus? Any other guesses? Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. Good guess, though. So this is one that we don't typically think about, but did you realize that Jesus is an example? Like, a lot of times, if you ask people, what is Jesus, who is Jesus, what are we supposed to do with Jesus, they don't necessarily say, oh, yeah, example. But Jesus is an example, and one of the things that we're supposed to be doing is looking at how Jesus lived his life and trying to emulate that. Because each of us are supposed to be trying to live like Christ. Have you ever heard the phrase, be more Christ-like? Maybe a bit more common. Have you ever heard the phrase, what would Jesus do? There we go, yeah. We've got wristbands for that kind of thing. And today, we're basically going to be looking at, what would Jesus do? Because Jesus wasn't just the perfect man. Jesus was the perfect Christian. And we're supposed to be learning from that. So, we're just going to actually start by reading this story. But it starts in verse 41. And I'm going to talk you guys through what exactly is happening here. So now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. So first of all, they're going up to the Feast of Passover. The Feast of Passover is this massive celebration in Israel. Can anyone tell me what the Feast of Passover is celebrating? Adelaide? Yeah, it's the story of the angel of death in the book of Exodus when Israel is leaving Egypt and God passes over all of the families who had put blood on the posts of their door and he spares their firstborn. It's where the angel of death passed over. But it's specifically referring back to the Exodus. It's a constant memorial of how God saved Israel from Egypt. And every year they're going up. But what's special about this year? It's in the second verse. In verse 42, what's special about this one? They go up every year during the time of Passover. What's special about this year? He's 12 years old. old. That's right. Now, for us, how old do you have to be in the United States to vote? 18. 18. And when we are 18 years old, we are an adult. Yeah, in the United States of America, 18 is the age of becoming an adult. Any guesses what that age was in Israel? 12 or 13. I'm an adult. Exactly. But 12 or 13, that's when Jewish kids have their bar mitzvah. And bar mitzvah literally means son of commandment. And that's the age where you're now accountable to the law. 
Like, could you imagine if that was like what we did here in America, where every single 12 year old is now a legal adult, they can vote, they're responsible for their actions, they'll get held accountable. Like in the United States, we have this really weird idea that until you're like 25 or 30 and the number keeps going up, you're not actually responsible for your actions. And we keep pushing that age back. But the earlier you go forward, the earlier people are held responsible. And one thing that I think is so valuable about this story for you guys is how many of you guys are older than 18? Right, the leaders. <laughs> how many of you guys are older than 12? And then Parker, how old are you? 11. So you're almost there. You're one year away. So the interesting thing, and the thing that makes this so valuable for you guys specifically, is that this is the section of Jesus' life, of Jesus' life that you're in. And it's helpful to think about the fact that Jesus was a teenager. Think about how difficult it is to live with your parents. Think about how difficult it is to live with your siblings. Think about the specific challenges that you go through when you go through things like puberty or where you're dealing with school or junior high. Jesus went through that stuff. Jesus had parents. Jesus lived in a family. Jesus had siblings. Jesus knows what it's like to be where you are. He lived through it. But also, in God's eyes, is a 12-year-old able to understand the Bible? Yeah, because at 12 years old, every single Jew was held accountable, not to only to know it, but to live it out. So a lot of times we have this weird idea that like junior hires and high schoolers, they can't understand the things about God. They can't think about God. They can't know God. And I disagree. And so does God. So this is a valuable portion because it's about how should you guys be interacting with how should you be interacting with God? How should you be interacting with the Bible? How should you be interacting with your parents? But moving on, and when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. Have any of you guys ever been left somewhere by your parents? No. I have. <laughs> I was left at church one time. I mean, it's not the only time I've been forgotten by my parents, but like I was left at church one time and it was something like five hours later that I realized I was missing. And like, isn't that kind of a relatable thing? Like parents, they get frazzled. They're doing all kinds of other stuff. They're on this big old journey with their family and they forget the kid. <laughs> no one's thinking that they need to check on Jesus. They just assume they'd be coming with him. But they leave for a whole day before noticing that Jesus is gone. And what do you think Mary and Joseph are thinking at this point? <laughs> are they a little uh, anxious? A little bit concerned that it's been a whole day and I haven't seen my son and I don't know where he is. It's a little bit like, I thought you had him. I thought you had him. <laughs> so Mary and Joseph are having their own little mini heart attack taking care of all of the other siblings while Jesus is back in Jerusalem and they head back. And in verse 45, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple. So how long have they been looking for Jesus? <laughs> Two, three days. Jesus has been missing for four days. So it's like been about half a week of Jesus just not being with the family. Anxious. <laughs> That's some anxiety, right? So do you think that Mary and Joseph will be happy or irritated when they find Jesus? Irritated. Irritated. <laughs> It's kind of like a toss of 50-50. We'll see what happens, but hey. And 
They found him, speaking of Jesus, in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. So Adelaide was right. We went the irritated route. (laughs) Mary's not at all happy that Jesus has, quote, done this to us. (laughs) And they're coming back and they find her and look at Jesus's response. He says, and he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And that right there is the verse in the entire section that was always so hard for me growing up. Because I would expect Jesus to say anything other than that. (laughs) Jesus, where were you? Where did you think I was going to be, Mom? What? (laughs) I thought Jesus was perfect. But then that's why it's important, by the way, that you remember like 12 years old is the age of adulthood. Like it's not as much a kid talking back to his mom as like we would think. At this point, Jesus is a legal adult. So that's important. But isn't that interesting? So I want to ask you guys a question. What was Jesus focused on? Like, yeah, he was focused on God. I got it immediately. Perfect. I mean, there was a bit of a hint as it's like, you know, written on the board. But Jesus was focused on God. And the first thing that we need to learn from this is that we should focus on God. Because again, how old is Jesus right now? 12 years old. And he's in the temple learning about the Father. And one of the things that's interesting is like, Jesus is God, right? But Jesus was also a person. And Jesus had to learn. Like, isn't that kind of wild? That's one of those things that's like really hard for me to think about. Is this like little toddler Jesus having to get potty trained. But Jesus did that. Jesus had to do that. Parents had to take care of him. And like, Jesus did that for you guys. But in verse 50, and they did not understand the saying he spoke to them. But the entire thing that we should be learning from that section before we move on is that we should have a priority. We should focus on God. What is the single most important part of your life? It's that you focus on God. It's your relationship with God. We talked about this message a while back when we were talking about David and the anointing of David specifically. Who was here for that? I think Adelaide and Alex, you guys were here for that, right? What did we learn from that? What were some of the things that we learned about when God anointed David? First of all, was David invited to the party? Did his family think that Samuel would be anointing him? So does God see the same way that we see? Does God value the things that we value? No. No. And that's exactly what we learned from the anointing of David. But what is the thing that God values? He values us. What is the thing that God values about people? Like, what does God admire, I guess you could say? Our hearts. hearts. Specifically, our humility and our love and focus for God. When Samuel's talking about David, he uh, he says that God has found someone after his own heart, humble and seeking after God. And every single person has a level playing field to be that kind of person. Not every person has a bunch of money. Not every person has this rich like heritage that they're coming out of. Not every person necessarily has the same advantages as every other person. Not every person is as intelligent as everyone else. Not every person is as strong as everyone else. That's just the reality. And there are a lot of ways in life that the playing field isn't level, but in your ability to have a relationship with God, it is. 
Because every single person has the ability to be humble towards God. Every single person has the ability to love God with whatever God's given them. And that's the thing that God cares about. And from the earliest in your life, starting now, starting earlier, you should be focusing on your relationship with God. You're not too young for it. Jesus, who is your example, was doing it at the same age that you are now or a bit younger for most of you. Focus on that. Start now, not later. But the second thing, as we keep continuing, Jesus was still a kid, right? He's still only 12 years old. And after this episode where he's like staying in Jerusalem and studying his father and they come back and find them, after this conversation in verse 50, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them in verse 51, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. What is the thing that should surprise you in that verse? What stood out to you in verse 51? Because it surprises me and it's something to really wrap your head around. What did Jesus do in verse 51? He was submissive. Real quick, who is the God that Mary and Joseph worship? More, well, yeah, they worship the Father. They also worship Him, right? Isn't that a wild thing? And when someone's a God, does that mean that they get to tell you what to do? Like the God that you worship, does that God get to tell you what to do? Yeah. So Mary and Joseph are literally raising God, and God is submitting to humans. Isn't that wild? And the thing that we should also be learning is that Jesus submitted to his parents and we should submit to parents. Because I'm just going to tell you right now, there's a lot of situations growing up where I felt like I knew better than my parents and I was smarter than them and they were wrong in a situation. And however hard it was for me, however hard it is for you, I am going to guarantee you that it was harder for Jesus. who actually was right in every argument, who actually was right in every situation, who actually did know better than his parents. It was really hard for Jesus to submit to his parents, but he did it. He did it perfectly. Even after he was a legal adult and he could have stopped, arguably, he didn't. And you guys need to understand that your primary relationship in life is with God immediately after that is your relationship with your parents. All of you guys are kids. All of you guys are under 18. All of you guys are teenagers. And there is a certain point where that relationship changes. Like for me right now, my relationship with my parents isn't the same as it was 10 years ago. You know, my parents are more advisors than they are kings, right? But for you guys, you guys are still in the king stage. And the important thing for you guys to understand is that you need to submit to your parents. It's important that you love them, that you honor them. It's important that you obey them. And in a situation where your parents specifically tell you to do something that God tells you not to do, like if your parents tell you that you're never allowed to read your Bible, read your Bible anyway. But even that is supposed to be done with an attitude of submissiveness. You're not supposed to be seeking out opportunities to disagree with your parents. You're not supposed to be seeking out opportunities to disobey your parents. Who was here for our Daniel lesson? Was that last week? Uh, yeah, it was last time. I wasn't there. I 
Alex and Parker, you guys were there, right? So when Daniel was in a situation where he had a person telling him to eat food that God didn't want him to eat, what did he do? Did he just say, nah, bro, flip the table and not eat the food? What did he do? He, like, he seemed to like quietly just blatantly tell him, like, no, he went, Well, so what specifically did he do? Did he go and say, I'm not eating this? Or what did, what did Daniel do? Who did he talk to? If anyone else knows the story, you can intercede or in, interject. Interject. So if you know the story of Daniel chapter one, where Daniel is, uh, he and his friends get brought to Babylon, they're carried off, and the king of Babylon wants to feed him them with food that comes from his table, but Daniel and his friends, not wanting to defile themselves, did something. What did they do? They ate only vegetables. They ate only vegetables. What did they do before that? How did they get to the point where they could eat only vegetables? Did they, did they steal vegetables from the kitchen and then just like sneak it in? I'll give you a hint. So they went to the chief eunuch and they actually asked him, hey, can we do this? When they were in a situation where they could have disobeyed, where they would have been quote justified in disobeying, they went to their person who was in charge of them and they actually just asked them. They said, hey, can we please do this? And then God gave them favor in that guy's sight. And even when you're in a situation where your parents are telling you to do something that's sinful or telling you not to do something that you should be doing, you need to respond with an attitude of respect and honor. You shouldn't be looking for opportunities to disobey. Your goal should always be to obey God and obey your parents. Because who gave you your parents? God. God. God chose your parents. And it's hard. There's a lot of authority in your life that you don't choose. A lot of times you don't choose your government. A lot of times you don't choose the government leader. A lot of times you don't choose your boss. And in every single situation in your entire life, submissive relationships are going to exist. And you need to be able to submit to the leaders that God puts in your life. And that starts with your parents. And especially when you're not an adult yet, that means your parents right now. And Jesus did the exact same thing. And however hard it is for us, it was harder for him. But I want to turn over briefly to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. And if you want to join me there, you can. But we went through Ephesians a little while back. And towards the end of it, we were talking about family relationships. And I want to read you Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. What is Paul quoting? Who knows? He's quoting the Ten Commandments. Specifically, he's quoting, I believe, the Fifth Commandment. Yeah, the Fifth Commandment. And that's from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. And it says, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And that same commandment or something similar to it is found elsewhere in Proverbs chapter one, verses eight through nine. It says, hear my son, your father's instruction, forsake not your mother's teaching for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. And something that's helpful for you guys to think about is that in the entire Bible, there is one commandment that is specifically given to kids. One. Any guesses what it is? I just read three different versions of it. Obey your parents. That's right. 
And one thing that you need to understand is that you cannot honor God in your life as an adolescent, as a teenager, as a high schooler, as a junior higher. You cannot honor God in your life if you're not honoring your parents. Because God gave you your parents. And parents aren't perfect. They're not. But you're going to honor them anyway. And in every situation where you can obey them, you will. And you're going to do it with a happy heart because that's what God wants from you. And I don't get the opportunity to touch on this very often because there's a whole lot of Bible to teach through. But it's important for you guys to understand the single most important responsibility that you have right now in your life as junior highers and high schoolers is to your parents. But you should be focusing on God. Because if we finish with our last verse in Luke, and then I'll close this out. But if we finish in our last verse in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, in favor with God and man. And that characterizes all four of the categories where you grow. You increase in knowledge. You physically develop and grow. And then you increase in your societal abilities. You increase in your relationship with people. And you increase in your spirituality. You increase in your relationship with God. And you need to focus on your relationship with God. Even when you're obeying your parents, you're obeying your parents because you love God. And that's always the first thing. And your goal is to grow. Your goal is to grow in your relationship with God. Your goal is to grow in your relationship with your parents. More than anything else, in this stage of your life, that's your goal. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, then, let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and pray, and then we'll do small groups. Lord, thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to read your word and to see a story about Jesus in the stage of life that is where we're at. I pray that you would help us to remember that Jesus isn't just a savior, but he is that. Jesus isn't just a king, but he is that. But Jesus is also an example that we get to look at how Jesus lived. We get to look at how Jesus related to you and we get to learn from it. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn from it. I pray that you would help us to value our relationship with you above all else and that in every situation we would be pursuing that. And I pray that you would also help us to understand that part of that is how we relate to our parents. I pray that you would help us to submit to our parents. I pray that you would help us to learn from them. And I pray that you would help us to love them in every situation because you gave them to us and you expect us to behave that way. Lord, we pray these things in the name of our King Jesus Christ. Amen.